pastoral gifting. All right, let me direct you now to Hebrews chapter 8. As we consider, using the words of the author of Hebrews, the point of it all. Let us hear the word of God. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. That is the word of God. May he add his blessing to its reading and preaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let me ask you a question. What does it take to amaze you? A breathtaking landscape? A playoff victory, a culinary delicacy, maybe a scientific discovery, maybe it's a cinematic or literary or musical masterpiece. Guys, maybe it's a girl who's actually into you. (laughs) Girls, maybe it's a guy who's actually worthy of you. Parents, maybe it's kids who actually obey you. What amazes you? What does it take to amaze you? Well, this morning, It's time to be amazed, not because of the preacher, not because of our liturgy. It's time to enter into amazement because Hebrews chapter 8 invites us to step into the depths of gospel wonder. As we take our first steps into chapter 8, the author is inviting us to join him in getting a peek of heaven. And here's what he wants us to see as we get this peek into heaven. Right now, Jesus Christ is in heaven serving on our behalf. Right now, Jesus is in heaven serving on our behalf. He wants you to join him in our passage this morning seeing that. He wants you to get a glimpse of Jesus in heaven for you. The one who is the radiance of the glory of God. The one who is the heir of all things. The one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. The one whose message is better than angels. The one whose leadership and deliverance is better than Moses. The one who leads us to a better promised land. The one who offers a sacrifice better than Aaron. The one who left heaven and came to earth. And put on human skin and lived the life sinners could not live and died died vicariously, rose victoriously, 
ascended triumphantly and right now reigns supremely, the author wants you to see that this one is in heaven serving on your behalf. At this moment, as we speak, unseen to the human eye, Jesus Christ is in heaven for you. He who has the power to speak the worlds into being. He who has the power to hold every molecule in place. He who has legions of angels at his disposal. He who makes the the demons of hell shudder. The one who's in control of every moment of every day. Who never sleeps or slumbers or takes a vacation. Is ever living above to serve you. This is not wishful thinking. This is not fantasy. This is not an exercise in therapeutic, positive thinking. According to our author, nothing is more real than this. Jesus is in heaven serving you. Be amazed. Be assured, right now, Jesus Christ is in heaven serving on your behalf. He's thinking about you. He's aware of you. He's exerting divine energy on your behalf at this very moment. Be amazed. Be assured. That before the throne of God, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. That's not just stunning poetry. That is actuality for the church of the living God. Be amazed and be assured right now. Jesus Christ is in heaven serving on your behalf. That's the big idea we want to explore this morning. That's the big idea of the text. The author of this epic New Testament volume takes a moment, as, we're, as proverbially speaking, we're coming out of the deep end of the pool after considering how Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And the author comes in and says, here's why that matters so much. Here are the relational, pastoral, practical realities associated with this really deep reality. And it's this. Right now, Jesus is in heaven serving on your behalf. He says that this is the point of everything he's written up into this moment. Look at verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. This is the point. The word point in the original language has as the, at its root the word for head. By using this word, he's letting us know that this is the, the crowning point, the main idea, the heading that could be written over everything he's written up to this point. Everything he said from chapter 1 up to here, chapter 8, all has this as the main point. Right now, in heaven, we have a high priest Whoever lives above to serve us. 
That's the big deal. We have such a high priest, one who is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, a minister in holy places. In other words, everything the author has said up to this point, everything he's preached so far, because if you're just joining us, this is not just a letter, this is a homiletical letter, this is, he's preaching this. Everything he's preached so far in his sermon comes down to this. We have a high priest who never stops ministering to us, even though we can't see him with the naked eye. The same hymn writer that I quoted a few moments ago also writes the words, Up, Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Upward I look and see him there. With the eye of faith, the author of Hebrews is inviting us to get our eyes into heaven and imagine Jesus ever living above on our behalf. This morning, we want to look upward and see that. We want to look upward and see him there and be renewed in our amazement and be recalibrated in our assurance that my dear brother and sister, right now, Jesus Christ is in heaven serving on your behalf. Be amazed. Be assured. So in order for us to be truly amazed and assured by this reality, by this main point, we obviously need the Holy Spirit to give us eyes of faith to see this. And may he give us eyes to see this. Amen? So may the Lord give us eyes to see, in summary, the position of Jesus Christ. He's a high priest and a minister. The posture of Jesus Christ. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty. The place of Jesus Christ. He's in heaven, in holy places, in the true tent. And the promises of Jesus Christ. The covenant he mediates is better, enacted on better promises. Let us consider how Christ, at this very moment is ever living above to serve us by the grace of God as we consider this view of Christ. First, the position of Jesus Christ. He serves as a high priest and a minister. Jesus is infinitely glorious, church, and, and so much is said about his glory here in the book of Hebrews, but notice that the main point that the author wants to drive home is that out of all the things that have been said about Jesus, out of all the things we see to be true about him, his main point is that we'd see Jesus in these two ways, and they are related, that we'd see him as a high priest and a minister. So let's do that. Jesus is our high priest. We've talked about this a lot because the author's already talked about this a lot. What does it mean that Jesus is our high priest? A priest is one who mediates the relationship between the human and the divine. And Jesus is uniquely qualified to do this because he alone is the God-man. He gets God because he's God, and he gets us because he is human. And so he, because he gets us and because he gets God, he perfectly mediates the relationship between God and humans. And you may remember, as we've studied this so far in the book of Hebrews, that he's a priest of a unique class. 
Not just because he's Jesus. Not just because he's the God-man. Because he's a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so in order to be a priest on earth, we covered this a little bit last week, but it comes up again, so we'll, we'll mention it again. In order to be a priest on earth, you had to come from a particular ancestral line, according to the law of Moses. And Jesus didn't fit that requirement. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. Verse 4 summarizes what was taken up extensively in chapter 7. Look at verse 4. Now, if he were on earth... He would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. But the author argues that the Levitical priesthood, that which was prescribed according to the law in the book of Leviticus, served in preparation for another priesthood. He asserts that in verse 5, look, they serve as a copy and shadow. Of heavenly things. In other words, the Levitical priesthood on earth, as important as it was under the old covenant, was simply a replica of a true and better priesthood in heaven. A priesthood where Jesus Christ alone would serve. Peter O'Brien, in his commentary on the book of Hebrews, makes the following observation. He says, from its beginning... The earthly sanctuary where the Levitical priests performed their ministry was designed to be nothing more than a copy and a shadow of a heavenly reality. So the Levitical priesthood, who they were, how they served, and we'll see in a few moments where they served, was meant to be a replica, a copy, a shadow of a greater place and a greater priesthood who would serve in the truest and better form. You're familiar with replicas. In fact, we have the most amazing replica of something being built in our kitchen at this very moment. Um, Our boys got for Christmas a Lego replica of the Death Star. Now the real Death Star could not fit in our kitchen. So if I were to tell you the Death Star... It finds a home in our home. You'd be like, yeah, right. Too big. Too massive. But no, don't worry. This is a replica of the Death Star. I will not blow up any planets. We will not blow up your home. Okay? It is a replica. A very cool, detailed, 4,717-piece replica with over 30 minifigures. Okay? This is amazing stuff, by the way. Um, It's not the real thing, but it points us to a bigger thing, a more massive thing. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is what the priesthood, as amazing as it was, as detailed as the instructions were, as massive as the worship of God at the tabernacle and then the temple was, all of that pointed to a greater priesthood, to a greater place where a greater sacrifice and greater worship would be offered in the very presence of God. Therefore, since the real has come, the replica is no longer needed. Since the real and official has arrived, the copy, the shadow, the replica, no longer serves as it once did but now stands as a constant memorial that God 
was preparing his world for this moment for such a very long time. This is why we didn't get deep into this last week. And in our staff meeting on Monday, the guy said, we better make sure we come back to that because it's significant. And they were right. I was planning on doing it today. Chapter 7, verse 12. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. What? Since the copy is no longer needed because the real has arrived, follow me, the instructions in the law of how the copy functions no longer applies. That's why we're no longer offering sacrifices. The real has come. Therefore, the instructions, which were the very word of God, no longer apply in the way they once did when all we had were the copies. This is a subject worth studying in another time, and I'm wondering if Stephen may cover this in the, in the class. It's called progressive revelation. What God gave us at this moment was preparing us for a future moment. And the future moment, the author of Hebrews is saying, has arrived. We're going to talk about this at length when we get into the rest of chapter 8. And we talk about how the new covenant has both fulfilled and replaced the old covenant. Be very careful as we talk about this. But it's true. The detailed instructions of the law on the Levitical priesthood are fulfilled. They cast a shadow that provided a temporary outline, and they no longer need to serve in the temple as they once did because the high priest, Jesus Christ, has arrived, and he's no longer serving in a temple made with hands. He's serving in heaven on our behalf. So he's our high priest. We're also told here in the text that he's our minister. I love this. Only time Jesus has called this in the New Testament. He is your minister. In other words, he's your servant. He's our servant. We're already told in chapter 7 that he ever lives above to serve others. And this isn't new. You may recall that this was the posture that Jesus took during his incarnation. When he was on this earth. What did he say in Mark 10, 45? This is one of those passages you should have memorized. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is what Jesus did during his incarnation. He's, he's living on earth, not to be served, but to serve. And so everywhere, all throughout the gospel, what do you find Jesus doing? He's serving. He's meeting the needs of broken sinners. He's healing sickness. He's feeding the hungry. He's, he's curing the lame. He's, he's giving sight to the blind. He's teaching the ignorant. He's delivering the oppressed. He's raising the dead. Every moment, what is Christ doing? On mission from the Father, he is serving the needs of others. Even the night before he's crucified, what do we find Jesus doing? He's on his hands and knees with a towel and a basin washing his disciples' feet. Metaphorically speaking, that's all Jesus ever did was wash feet. He was a servant. He ever lived on earth 
to serve broken sinners. And then he goes to the cross, his defining act of service. And the author of Hebrews is making the point, on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the empty tomb, on the other side of his resurrection, ascension, and session at the right hand of the Father, at this very moment, what is Jesus doing? He's still serving. He's still serving. He's our minister. Now, combining this these roles of high priest and minister, special emphasis is being placed on Christ's greatest act of service on our behalf. Look at verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. So the Levitical priesthood served the people of Israel around the clock offering many gifts and sacrifices on behalf of the people. Burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, bulls and goats and lambs, sacrificed repeatedly day in and day out. And remember, these were a copy. These were a shadow. So the author says it was necessary for the copy to find its full expression. For the shadow to become substance. How? It was necessary that Christ have something to offer. So what did Christ offer? The something that he offered was himself. Back in chapter 7, verse 27, we read, He has no need, that's Jesus, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Church, he did this once for all when he offered up himself and the point of the author, the author is making is this. Don't miss this important practical connection. He offered up himself for us. For our sin, for our guilt, for our forgiveness, for our justification, for our peace, for our reconciliation, for our redemption, for our cleansing. Be amazed. Be assured. Christ, your high priest, your minister, did this for you. He ever lives above to minister as your uniquely qualified high priest and minister. Can you see him? Will you see him this morning? Upward, take a look and see him there who made an end of all your sin. Because the sinless Savior died, your sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. The position of Jesus Christ. Be amazed. Be assured. He is your high priest and your minister.
Notice next the posture of Jesus Christ. Notice that he is seated. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty. Now, I will not belabor this point because the author has been acknowledging this point over and over again. He started with this, the posture of Christ, way back in Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is seated. He's in this posture because he finished the work of atoning for our sin. The priests were always on their feet the author argues, because they were always, there was always another sacrifice to offer, repeated sacrifices for repeated sins as a repeated reminder that we are in constant need of the mercy of God. Sacrifice after sacrifice. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down. And that gesture of sitting down, that, that posture of being seated is a gesture, is a posture that should cause us to hear the words, it is finished. No more sacrifices by him. No more sacrifices by priests. In fact, no more sacrifices by you. What do I mean by that? When we sin, there is no need to self-atone or linger in the shame and guilt of our sin. We simply confess it and look to Christ and claim the forgiveness that is ours by grace through faith in his once for all sufficient and complete sacrifice. And as I was preparing for this, I just really had a sense from the Holy Spirit that I needed to press into this for some of you. Some of you may be lingering in the sin and guilt and heaviness and shame of past sins for so long, for too long. And for some reason, you've convinced yourself that if you feel bad long enough, it will make up for the bad things you've done. I got good news for you this morning. You need to stop feeling bad about it today because Christ endured the wrath of God in your place for that sin 2,000 years ago. No more self-atonement. No more inflicting yourself with pain, somehow thinking that if you feel bad enough, it will make up. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do to make up for it. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down. When you are plagued and perplexed and paralyzed by the thoughts of your past or even present sin, what should you do? I find the words from the hymn beneath the cross of Jesus very helpful. Stanza 3, we read, Upon the cross of Jesus mine eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my smitten heart with tears to wonders I confess. The wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness. What do you do with your guilt and shame this morning? What do you do with your guilt and shame when you sin again this afternoon and when you sin again tomorrow and when you sin again tomorrow afternoon and tomorrow night? Cast your eyes upon the cross and see the one who suffered there for you. And revel into wonders. 
his redeeming love and your unworthiness. And praise the Lord, it is finished. He is seated because his sacrifice for your sin was sufficient. Sufficient to forgive your sin, cover your shame, deliver your guilt, and cleanse your conscience. Be amazed and be assured. Right now, Jesus Christ is in heaven serving on your behalf. The place of Jesus Christ. Notice where he's seated. He is seated in heaven. He's seated in holy places. He is seated in the true tent. We are told here that Jesus Christ at this very moment is seated in the presence of God the Father in the very dwelling place of God. And then he describes heaven in terms that direct our attention to the temple and to the tabernacle on earth. He says that Christ ministers on our behalf in holy places. These holy places is, is an arrow that points us to the holy places that occupied the, 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 the locations in both the temple and the tabernacle where the priests would serve. The tabernacle was the mobile version of what the temple would be in Jerusalem. And together, both the tabernacle through the wilderness and the temple in Jerusalem, what were they? They were the dwelling place of God. The place where God and man would meet. The place where God's people would draw near to bring their offerings and worship the Lord. The place where priests would serve and sacrifice. But notice how the author once again says, just like the priests were copies and shadows... So the earthly tabernacle and temple were earthly shadows. The tabernacle and temple on earth were copies and shadows of the abode of God in heaven. The author doesn't want us to be mistaken. Look at verse 3. He says, this is the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. In other words, not the temple built by Solomon not the tabernacle built by Moses. They were replicas of the dwelling place of God in heaven. Look at verse 5. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, that is the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. This is a direct quotation from Exodus chapter 25 verse 40. And apparently when God was giving Moses instructions for building the earthly tabernacle, it seems that he was given a peak of the heavenly abode of God. He says, the instructions I am giving you to build this on earth are but a shadow and a replica of the dwelling place of God in heaven. And so the tabernacle on earth would be a reflection of the dwelling place of God in heaven. And so Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is saying, right now, your high priest, your minister, the one who finished the definitive work to grant you access into the presence of God, right now, this is where he is. He is in heaven. He is in the real, the real temple, the real tabernacle, the real dwelling place of God. Jesus told us that this is where he was going 
to serve us after his death and resurrection. You may recall John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. That's where Christ is at this very moment, preparing a place for us. One day, Jesus said in John 14, the separation will be over. Right now, Jesus is serving us in heaven while we are here on earth, but one day, where he is, we will be also. Be amazed. (laughs) Be assured. And let me just say this before we press on from this point and close this sermon down. (laughs) Some of our biggest problems in life, some of our most devastating experiences of unmet expectations are when we try to make heaven on earth. I'm an 80s guy, okay? Belinda Carlisle was wrong. Heaven is not a place on earth, okay? Google it, Spotify it, laugh at it. What we have here on earth is a copy, a shadow, of what one day we will experience with Christ and one another in his very presence. One day heaven and earth will be united in the new heavens and the new earth and the the former things will pass. What's this mean? The best is yet to come. So we must stop trying to make earth our heaven. It cannot live up to those expectations. So stop trying to make earthly relationships your heaven. Stop trying to make your earthly workplace your heaven and the achievements you accomplish there. Stop trying to make earthly possessions your heaven. Church, stop trying, stop making earthly church your heaven. Only heaven can be heaven. Only the very abode of God can hold the weight of our most earnest expectations. And the good news is Christ is there right now preparing it for you and for me. And one day we will be there. One day relationships will be what they were meant to be. One day our physical well-being will be what it was meant to be. One day our work and our labors in the kingdom of God will be exactly what they were meant to be. One day worship will be exactly what it was meant to be, and the projector won't bug out on us ever again. One day, heaven will be our final destination. When Jesus Christ returns, makes all things new, and there is a new heaven and a new earth. So we're here, and he's serving us up there for now. But one day that distance will shrink. And he's promised us, my friends, he's not left us as orphans. (laughs) He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit to know that he's with us to the end. He's given us the Holy Spirit to serve him with gifts and abilities and make a difference and and get earth ready for the day when it's made new through our service and our work.
at work and in the church and in the community. There's a purpose for us on earth as we wait to be reunited with him in heaven. We exist to be a foretaste of that future in the present as we give a whiff of the culture of heaven on earth as the church of Jesus Christ. But the best is yet to come. And what a day that will be. Jesus is in heaven. And one day we will be with him. But he continues to serve us on earth from heaven. We can't see him, but he is serving. Finally, the promises of Jesus Christ. And the point was just to mention this because it launches us into a deeper treatment of the new covenant in the remainder of this chapter. But just look at verse 6 for now. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. So verse 6 transitions us into the rest of the chapter where we'll explore how the new covenant that Christ has instituted through his death, burial, and resurrection is better than the old covenant under Moses. How the promises attached to the old covenant under the Levitical priesthood are nothing compared to the promises of the new covenant under Christ's high priesthood. He makes this point by diving into Jeremiah's prophecy. And we're going to look at that next time when I'm teaching. In Christ, we're going to be told that there are better promises, transformed hearts, intimate access to God's presence, and the complete forgiveness of sins. But for our purposes this morning, let's just be amazed and assured by this. Christ's ministry to us right now from heaven is to ensure that all of his promises are kept. Everything God has promised to us in Christ is actively being fulfilled by Christ. Christ is not sitting on his hands in heaven. He's at this moment keeping his promise to intercede for us. Keeping his promise to pour out his spirit on us. Keeping his promise to prepare a place for us. Keeping his promise to give us mercy and grace to help in time of need. And keeping his promise to be ready for us to draw near and offer the worship that he deserves because he is the worthy lamb who was slain. He is postured at this present moment to serve in fulfilling all of his promises. Be amazed. Be assured. Right now, Jesus Christ is in heaven serving on your behalf. We have a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for us. What a savior. Let us adore him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are too easily pleased, too easily entertained and amazed. I watch LeBron James dunk the ball like Kobe Bryant and I'm going nuts. But there's nothing compared to this. There's nothing more amazing than this. There's nothing more assuring to our needy souls than this. That right now, your son is in heaven serving on our behalf. Jesus, thank you that you're thinking of us. 
Jesus, thank you that you're aware of us. You see us. You know us. You're concerned for us. You're available to us. Jesus, thank you that you're preserving us and protecting us and helping us accomplish the Father's will on earth as it is where you are in heaven. Jesus, thank you. What else can we say? You are a great high priest. You are our minister. Thank you for serving us. Thank you for never stopping in your service to us. And so we're here today as brothers and sisters to let you know that we are so grateful. It's hard down here, Lord. It's hard. We're weak. We're fickle. We're feeble. We're on again, off again, with you, away from you, in your word, out of your word, in prayer, out of prayer. God, we need you. And so we thank you. Comfort our hearts this morning that right now you are serving on our behalf. We pray in your precious name. Amen.